Uh, Brian, it is the hottest day of the year I heard on the news. Uh-huh. This is the day uh-huh. that we chose to record today. And, you know, it wouldn't be summer design details content if we didn't have at least one episode of us whinging about how hot it was in the room that we're recording. In. Yeah, you're in the enclosed room. I'm mm-hmm. in the more open, like shaded room. So this is definitely worse for you. Well, I'm trying something new this time, Brian. Uh, The door is closed, but I have not turned off my fans. This is something I I can't hear them. Okay, well, yeah. So listeners, hopefully you can't hear the fans in the background. I'm going to do my best to remove them in post. And hopefully they're just not picked up all that much in the first place. But if you can hear them, I'm sorry. I need to not be a puddle of sweat by the end of this episode. So the fans stay on. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Welcome to episode 462 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Black. Welcome back for another episode, Brian. Good to be back. Good to be back. What do we got in the docket for this time? Yeah, a lot's happened since the last time we chatted, actually. Yeah. Uh, I went and touched grass in Idaho and went fishing, (laughs) and then I got COVID. Uh-huh. Uh, so that delayed us a little bit. From the and, fish and uh, the grass, you got the COVID? Or? Yeah, dude, we were catching fish and they just kept coughing on us every time we catch one. It was insane. Those assholes never wear a mask. I they never wear masks. But anyways, it's it's good to be back. I think we're maybe a little bit overdue, but hey, we're here. And we got a lot to talk about. We do. Before we get into it, we have some new very important pixels. Hey, Marshall. Hot tub time. So, welcome, welcome to the fam, our new very important pixels. Shout out to Adam Knopfsinger, Rafi Chilingarian, Joel Lachlan, Evie, Lamb Fam, Caleb Meyer, Jacques Musafir, Sean Simmons, Juan Morales Roca, Joseph Cooper, Gareth Jones, Mohammed Al Najar, Julian Duffy, Wenhui Yao, Phil Sayer, Draken, Anchor Roy, and Tracy McAllister. Hey, 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 welcome to the hot welcome tub. Welcome to the hot tub on the hottest day of the year. It's hot tub, <laughs> yes. hot day. Yeah. Just sweaty designers all around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, welcome. Thanks, everyone, for supporting the show. If you didn't know, we are a listener-supported podcast. Every month, designers like the aforementioned Very Important Pixels join us at patreon.com slash design details, where... For just a dollar a month. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month to get access to bonus content. It's an extra episode. We call it the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. In this week's sidebar, we're going to be talking about how to elegantly unship software. So if you're going to hear that conversation, that will be over on our Patreon at patreon.com slash design details. Thanks, everyone, for supporting the show. Yeah, welcome, everybody, new to the hot tub. Uh, enjoy that new sidebar. Now let's get into the yeah. main topic, Brian. So, Marshall, last week you had no meeting week. Yeah. And I heard you were productive. I was. Oh, my God. I'm not good at a ton of things, Brian, but like making Figma <laughs> components, like I, I don't feel ashamed to brag about it a little bit. Like I'm actually pretty fucking good at it. And I uh-huh, got to do uh-huh. it like nonstop for a whole week. Um, every every quarter we have a no meeting week where, you know, your regular meetings get canceled, the recurring ones, and it's okay to dip out of other stuff. And I cleared the board other than a few meetings here and there and just worked on refactoring some of like the basic foundational components in our design system. 
Uh, and I learned a bunch of lessons and, and came across some interesting concepts along the way that I developed for myself. And I figured I'd share here. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, first off, man, can I just say how good it feels to just clean this stuff up? It's like having, it's like that drawer in your kitchen. Everybody's got a junk drawer or like a junk closet or something where you just kind of uh-huh, uh-huh. open it enough to throw shit in and then like close it before it can explode out onto you. So I've been you know, kind of treating this thing like a junk drawer a little bit, like knowing that like I don't have time to really get in there and clean it until just recently. So I got in there, I put on my yellow gloves and, and my mask and got out the power washer and made some uh, major changes and improvements. And I, I'll share some of that stuff here. So one of the first things I found really useful for myself was just to like create a tracker to see where I stood, just like understand how bad things were and where and like where my effort needed to go. So I in, in uh, Google Sheets, there's this drop down feature where you can create items from a dropdown. You can give them colors and you can choose either a pill style, which I think is the default, or you can choose this fill style, which fills the entire cell with that color. So I used like heat map colors, red, orange, yellow, green, to indicate like if something was bad, red all the way through, good, green for each axis. So so in spreadsheet, every row was a component. I went into the library and made a row for each component. And I had columns for obviously the name and a short description of what it was, who owned it, linked to it, all that stuff. But then a column for each aspect that you could kind of judge a component by. So like, how closely does it match prod? Is it using the newest stuff as far as like color styles? Is it using the new color variables? Is it using our newest typography styles? Is it organized with the proper layer names? Is it using best practices for component properties and how that thing should be laid out. Is it using variants at all? Or is it a bunch of separate components that need to be combined into a variant set? So like all of these things were a column and each cell has a dropdown of, of the best option to the least option. And then when you're done filling all that out, which took a little bit of time, but when you're done filling all that out, you can stand back and get this really beautiful bird's eye view of a heat map of like red where it's bad, green where it's good. And you can kind of see the areas where you need to put your effort. Um, oh, one last thing that I did is I added another column that was um, a general grade. Like if you have one red cell in the row, like yeah, that's kind of like automatically no better than a C, right? If you're if, if you're failing uh-huh. one of these columns, like you're no better than a C. Uh, and then like looking at it after the fact, I had several Fs, many Ds, a lot of Cs. I don't think I had anything higher than like a B on all these wow, things, okay. right? And I, and I let it go from A plus to F. A true minus. junk drawer. Yeah, yeah, tr- yeah, yeah. And and uh, you know the main thing was just to be honest, right? I didn't want to sugarcoat anything, and I also didn't want to fix anything as I was going through. This was all all about like documentation, like where do we actually stand? But it, it actually, you really want to scratch that itch of like, oh, I know what's wrong. It take me like five minutes to fix this, but no, 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 no. just in like tracking mode. Anyways, so. After creating that tracker, I had a good idea of where my effort was going to need to go and the the biggest things to tackle first. But actually, I didn't start with the biggest things first. I started with the smallest things first. I started with the little tiny, tiny components that only have a few different variants, nothing too major, so I can really get my feet under me and, and get into the rhythm. Of That's things. what I would do, too. Yep. I, I'm like, a, I need that first momentum, and the best way to get momentum is to do the tiniest possible task. Mm-hmm. 
And so I started with like, uh, I did probably a dozen of the smaller ones and, and just knocked them out really quick and, and started kind of developing the best practices as I was going. Like we're doing a lot of updates and this refactor, it's like, yeah, what, what are the actual rules here? Nobody's really telling me what to do. So I'm kind of like coming up with it as I go. And one of the things that really became important from the each component standpoint is just how you name and structure all of the component properties in that right hand side. Like my goal for all of my components was a designer using this never has to look in the layers panel. Everything that you can affect or adjust is in the design panel in that instance section of the design panel. All the usage is in the component description. All of the toggles and everything are, are legal ways that you can manipulate this thing. No illegal permutations are possible, right? So that they can't get themselves wee into you, a corner. You. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but like, you know, if you can bend it like to a point where you can make it look like a thing that can't be done in code, then we have to catch that before Inge goes, oh, okay, you want that? Okay, I'll just fork the code and now we have like rogue. Anyways. Um, so yeah, the, the consistency in those component properties I found to be incredibly useful, not only how you name, you know, consistency in naming the things, but the order that you put them in, like, and, and the common reoccurrence of variant properties. So for example, type is a very common one that came up a lot, or like size or layout, style, orientation, device even, like if you have a mobile, tablet, desktop. So like, uh, those are the ones that I, I know has kept coming up. So I made sure that I always put them in the exact same order every time. And that order I determined by being like going global first. So the top level things are things that you probably wouldn't change, but they would change everything under them and working to more specific as you go down the list. And then the way Figma today, the way it, it groups it, and I wish they would change this, but it groups all of your variant components at the top and all of your component properties below those, um, or sorry, your variant properties at the top and all of your component properties below that. You can't intermix them. There is a, a line. You can reorder them within their subgroups, but not intermix together. So that means that you, know, you, you should be very careful about the order that you put them in. I try to always, like I said, go global to local. Uh, visually, with the component properties, I will do top to bottom, left to right, like how you read. So something that's in the top left goes first, top middle goes next, top right goes next, and then down the next row from there. So that as you're reading through the component properties, they match somewhat closely to the relative position of that thing, whether it's a text label or a button property or a hide show thing. Especially things that, uh, for example, like a, a text label that can be shown or hidden, the string editing property should be under the visibility property immediately. So when you turn that toggle on, the thing that it affects immediately opens up just under it, not yeah, somewhere yeah, else yeah. in the list. Like right, right, right. That type of diligent rigor for ordering these things really pays off because then you don't really have to think well, about it. I mean, it's rigor, but right. like... This is like user experience design. Mm -hmm. Your users are just the people who have to like deal with all this shit. Yeah. And this is like basic principles, right? Like when things affect other things, put them close together. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense. It's really cool that you've like, yeah, there's like three meta layers of design going on here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because, yeah, there's, I'm creating like an interface within Figma. Here's another thing that I do. So, mm -hmm. All of those variant properties are you know, come up pretty consistently. I have an emoji for all of these things. So the the typical component properties, those are straightforward. I use the eyeball for show hide. I use the yellow pencil 
for text layers. I, I use the blue diamond for swappable icons. And I think that's it for the component properties. And then the variant properties, all those things like type, style, I have a specific emoji that I use for each one of those. So like type is the like four knobs emoji on like a little control panel. Style, I have like the little rainbow. Size, I use the ruler layout. I use the triangle, straight edge or whatever, like the, the 90 degree triangle thing. Uh, so, I mean, your mileage may vary and you should use the ones that make sense for you. But like, as yeah, long yeah. as they're consistent, that way you can just scan down the left side of all of those properties and like immediately know in the inf- interface, they do this like to the left of that. You will see, for, especially for the component properties, you'll see a little eyeball or a little diamond or a little T, I think they use for the for text. Uh, but it's so subtle, it's really hard to scan. It's not scannable. It's yeah. not scannable. And when all the names are just text, it's hard to read. As soon as you add those emojis in there, man, you can like really quickly run through the component and set it up, configure it exactly how you want to, because all those things are very clear. Sure. Anywho, uh, so that's the component properties part. Um, I got really specific with the component description. It's also kind of in that instance panel area where... They now have rich text. I don't think it was always rich text, but now you can put rich text in there with like headings and bold and and bullet points and stuff, code styling. So I went wild with basically creating a template of the name of the component, the home library that it lives in, a short description, uh, and then usage guidelines of like, don't resize this vertically or make sure to fill width or only one of these two things can be on at the same time. There are sub components in here that you should look at that have their own component details for more details. Like look at those things. I had specific styling for all this stuff. So like I would use like the code snippet for anything that was like an interface thing. So like fill width or like height. I would like use a code snippet for that. So it was clear that I wasn't describing something. I was like, no, I'm talking about like the component height. If I referred to a component, I used the little code styling as well as bold and linked it to the component for, you know, that I was referring to there, right? So that you could go read that thing, you know, cross-referencing things as well as below all that. um, This has been really useful tags for SEO. So like when you search and, you know, you hit shift I to get the insert panel up, when you start searching... You need to either, you have to be searching for something in the name of the component or in the component description. So like if the component name isn't super obvious, which some stuff was named by Inge like 10 years ago and it doesn't really make any sense, but that's the thing we call it and we should be calling it the same thing that Inge calls it so we know what we're talking about. But UX calls it something totally different. You can put that totally different What's an name. example? What's an example of like a, a really bad mismatch? Okay, yeah. So um, icons, for example. The name of our icon for comments is message bubble left, I think. Because um, <laughs> yeah. there's one okay. that's like flip the other direction, which is message bubble, message uh-huh. bubble right. So message bubble left, you would never search for that if you're looking for comments. So we have the word comments as part of the component description. So if you do search for comments, it'll show up in that list. It might not be the only thing in that list or even the first thing, but it'll be there if you search for it. So we do that all over the place, especially for icons. (laughs) But like uh, components, like we have a component called top bar, but on Android, it's app bar. And on iOS, it's navigation bar, right? So we have both of those terms in in the tags at the bottom. I also include who built the thing, which for all of those was me, but also who owns the pattern. So there's some UX owner on a team somewhere that like is responsible for any changes made to this thing, put their username in there as well. 
And then, uh, okay, so I moved some stuff between libraries, and this is incredibly scary. I don't know if you've ever done this before, Brian, but like in order to avoid breaking things, oh, go ahead. I was about to say, like, as you start talking about libraries, you know the Chris Pratt meme from Parks and Rec where it's like, I don't know what something is. At this point, I'm afraid to to ask. That's like me with libraries. Like, I don't understand Figma libraries. It's literally just happenstance and like clicking a bunch of stuff that I am able to use them. I don't know how to create them, maintain them, organize them, link them together. It's just a shit show. Oh, it's pretty easy. But I I don't know how to do it. (laughs) I don't use Figma anymore. (laughs) So... Yeah. Anyways. Uh, well, I'd be happy to give you a crash course sometime, bud. But. Well, no, I mean, I don't use Figma that much anymore. But like, as you're talking about moving things between libraries, I'm like, I wouldn't even know where to start. Well, here's where you start. Uh, both libraries have to have each other enabled, right? So you go into oh my God. You know, yeah. you enable a library. They both have to be enabled for each other. And then you can cut from one and paste to the other. And when you paste it in, you'll get a little snack bar that says, hey, you moved some shit. You should republish so that nobody loses the connection. As soon as you publish, then everything is good. Um, but if you're bringing over something that has like underscored subcomponents that don't get published, you need to cut those and paste them at the exact same time that you cut the parent component that they're part of. So, like, say you have a component that has a header and a footer that are two separate like subcomponents that are have an underscore before the name, so that they don't get published because you don't use the header or the footer on their own, but use the whole thing as, as a whole, right? Uh, you have to cut all of those with the same cut and paste them all with the same paste. Otherwise, they don't know how to talk to each other because those components aren't published. Like as soon as you remove them from the library where they're local, the connection is gone because they're they're not being announced, right? That's what a library does. It goes like all of the components inside of me that have been enabled to, to be available, like I announce their availability and anybody can take them from me, right? So anyways, so that's a, that's a big consideration. Uh, found that one out really quick. Like, Luckily, I checked it as I was doing the work. Like, did this break it? Oh, fuck it. Break it. Undo, undo, undo. Okay, is everything okay? Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Scary. Yeah, but everything ended up turning out okay. So it is it is possible. You can do it. The only thing that changes is the link changes um, because the file name is actually part of a link to a specific frame. So if you move a frame from one file to another, any link won't work. But if you move a frame around within a file, you can move it to a totally different page and a totally different hierarchy. A, a link that was made when it was in a different place in that same file will still work even after you've moved it. Uh, all right, a couple last things. So I found meta organization is is really important. So not just like the organization of the components themselves, but like the file itself. How do you how do you lay out the file in a way that makes sense? And there's a couple ways you can do this. Um, the metaphor I, that makes sense to me is like a shopping experience, right? Because because ultimately I'm I'm designing an experience for a customer. That customer is a UX designer who the design system is for. What is the right shopping experience for my customer? <laughs> you know. Um, and one way to do it, and this is the way that most design systems I see that are shared, like the stuff that Joey Banks has done and, and released for the iOS UI kits, even the official one that Apple released, they tend to be kind of like a Costco or a Sam's Club, depending on where you're from. Hopefully you get those references. But like it's a giant warehouse. There is no like back room where they keep overstock or whatever. Like everything is just out on the floor. There it is. The pallets, it's just sitting on pallets, stacks of fucking pallets on shelves after shelves after shelves. It's not pretty, but it's all there and you can see it all and you can walk around and grab whatever you need. As opposed to, um, and this is like switching the metaphor a little bit, but like a restaurant, 
where you go in and there is a dining area in the front and then there is a door marked staff only and beyond that door you're not allowed. And the stuff that goes on behind that door is very different than the stuff that goes up in the front of house, right? Back of house, front of Some house. Some really sick shit goes on back <laughs> Yeah, there, exactly. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, and, and the way you might organize, or maybe maybe an Apple store is, is a, another good example of that, where like out in the main area, you have like one of each thing and it's tethered to the fucking table. You can't mess it up, like one of each, right? But in the back of the store, there's like, I'm sure there's racks upon racks of like, you know, laptops organized by SKU and all this stuff. Like, that's not how you would want to organize the front of the store. But you also wouldn't want to have the front of the store organized in the back of the store. You'd like, take up what you want space, you never be able to find anything. It'd be bad, right? So instead of doing the Costco thing, I'm moving towards like a philosophy of let me organize my library in a way that makes sense for the workers behind the staff only door. So like us us doing the maintenance, like it makes sense back here. Maybe it isn't as pretty as we would make it. It doesn't have as much detail as we would want to include for somebody who doesn't know what the hell's going on. But we know what's going on back here. It's just like organization so that we can easily add or change things. And luckily, uh, we have auto layout that includes grid layout now. So like we can actually do some pretty good organization of variant components that have a lot of permutations uh, without just putting them into a single file vertical or horizontal line. Um, so obviously, because of that, you want to use auto layout pretty judiciously. And you can you can use auto layout, like I said, within components, but also in the framing around them. And, and what I found to be really useful is multiples of two. So like, for example, uh, I'll get real nerdy into the into the weeds here. So for my actual variant component, I set it up auto layout. I create a 64 point padding in the inside around all of the components and then 32 points between each of the components with 32 point radius for the entire thing. So it's like 32 times 2, 64. That lives inside of a larger container that contains labels that live off to the right of the component that label each of those permutations. And that thing has uh, double the size of that. So it uses 128 between things. And then those things live in categories of things like here's all the actions. And then and, and that uses 256. And then those categories are 512 between each other, right? So like, and, and I'm using larger and larger type sizes as I go up that. So like when you're close in each permutation, that's like 12 point font because you're like really zoomed in. But when you zoom out to like the full component, that's a much larger font size. When you zoom out to the full category, that's an even larger text size. So you can actually read it when you zoomed out that far. So this is not something I would have like really thought about. I mean, I guess I've seen it in other things, but like it becomes very obvious once you start using it that like big fonts super low down in the hierarchy are too much and small fonts super high up in the hierarchy are, are really bad. So uh, anyways, it seems pretty obvious in retrospect, but that's something that I ran into. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the last thing I guess I'll say here, and I've gone on quite a bit. I told you, Brian, I, I could talk about this forever. Um, the last thing I'll say is shit's going to break and it sucks. It's like a bad side effect of this. Hopefully you can refactor in a way that nothing breaks, but like I gave myself the grace and the permission of like, things are going to break. But 
if you're going to do that, hopefully you do it in a way where you're kind of like, like how I did, where everything broke for a week. And it's like basically everything that was going to break broke. If you're going to make fixes, you only need to do like one wave of fixes on your mocks or something. If images got lost because they're replaced or whatever, like yeah, yeah. Yeah, or some override got reverted back to the original. Those things are, it's not so bad when you can just do it in one fell swoop, as opposed to like every day you open up the, <laughs> open up your file and you click on the review and update buttons like, like a good little designer and you know accept those updates and ah shit it fucked my stuff up again i never want to click on that button again, you know so like yeah, yeah yeah uh anyways i will say that the the biggest thing that has been breaking is like images um if you replace the image file or, or change the structure or, or like have a subcomponent that represents an image it'll it'll get lost that override will get lost in the, the final component that that thing is a subcomponent component of like several steps down the road in the hierarchy which is why I find templates to be so useful here. So in a lot of design systems, I see key screens, which I think are super valuable and, and something that should be provided. But those key screens should be filled out versions of templates. And those templates are the gray box, unadorned, unoverridden, like just Legos of all the pieces put together into a page. But none of the images are filled in. None of the data is filled out. Because that is the stuff that will get broken when you override this stuff. So having those templates that are just set to their default state, nothing overridden, is really useful because when you want to make a new mock, you don't have to like go grab that key screen or whatever. Or like when those things break, you know that the template will always be in good shape. Anyways, I guess I learned a couple other things that maybe I should shout out. I don't know if I don't yeah, know if yeah, these yeah. things um, are recent changes that Figma made, but I want to rant real quick. Um, it used to be, or I thought it used to be, that Command L would copy a link to whatever frame you had selected. And I think something changed recently. I thought so too. Yeah, they changed it recently where now it just goes to whatever the first level canvas frame is. So like if you're deep down in the hierarchy, it will only select the the canvas level frame that is the parent of whatever you have selected. So if you were okay. specific and you send somebody a link, command L. But if you right click, copy as, copy link, I think it's copy slash paste as copy link that will do this specific thing. And if you notice, it doesn't have the shortcut to the right of the menu item like it does on all the other things. So like that's not what's happening when you hit command L. It's doing some other copy link thing that's just the root level frame, which sucks. Yeah, so I don't I know see. if they changed. Well, that so I thought or... I thought command L was just copy a link to the file like i didn't even know you could use it to copy a link to stuff internally i mean i think it's like copy to link like to that. page doesn't have a shortcut copy link to a frame doesn't have a shortcut but copy link to a file does mm. so maybe that's what they changed it to is like command l only copies a link to a file mm. well i don't like it i don't like it one bit <laughs> <laughs> i don't like it change it back especially because like the specific thing that you would want that you probably want to do more often you have to like dig through a couple levels of menu to find mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even even to know that, like, I only figured it out because one of my engineers was like, which of these frames, are, you know, where is it in this thing that you sent me? Because I because he was just getting the entire category of stuff. Right. Anyway, so that was one thing. But I also noticed here's a good thing. I'll, I'll give a pat on the back. It used to be that um, and you might not even know that this was possible. You could hover over the very, very, very left edge of a fill yeah. or a stroke yeah. or an effect 
to yeah. uh, be able to click it and turn that row blue, which allow you to command C, yeah. copy it. Easily top top five most frustrating interactions. It's about four pixels like, wide, an area that you had to it, work with there. Yeah, you better be precise or you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. Well, they updated it. Now it's like eight pixels wide and you, you, get, <laughs> okay. you get a hand cursor when you're over that and a little uh-huh. uh, draggy icon, a little draggy handles icon yeah, shows yeah. up over there too to show that you can reorder. So I just noticed that the other day. I'm not sure when they added it, but uh, I have. there's a few more pixels to click in there now if you ever want to select those to copy. Can I ask you a question? Sure. The most annoying interaction I have in Figma, well, again, maybe top five, mm-hmm. is imagine you're laying out a bunch of like avatars or thumbnails in a grid and you're not, you're, you haven't componentized anything. You're just like, you're in rough, just dragging shit around, getting pixels on the That's paper. Not how right? it work, but okay, sure, fine. Yeah. So <laughs> imagine you're like a normal person. Imagine you're me. <laughs> no, okay. I'm not a psycho. And all of a sudden, you're like, ah, actually, the corner radius should have been this, right? And so what you do is, I do Option Command C to copy the styles, and then I could just select all the other ones and paste to like kind of update it because I'm not using variables. I'm not using components. Yeah. I could, but I'm again, I'm like trying to move fast. I'm just trying to get ideas out of my brain. Mm-hmm. But the problem is Option Command C copies all styles, including image fills. Uh-huh. And it's super annoying when you want to paste all styles except the fill. Yeah. Is there a way to do that? Nope. Uh, I mean, you can select individual rows of things. So. You can select individual styles, yeah. but that's super annoying. But yeah, it would just take longer. No way that I know of. Command mm-hmm. Option C does everything. Stroke, fill, effects, yeah. everything. everything. Even even okay. auto layout. Maybe they changed this too, because I tried this earlier today, and it didn't actually copy my auto layout properties. I did the 3264 thing from one mm-hmm. container to another. I was just going to Command Option C, Command Option V, and it did the styles, but none of the auto layout things. And it won't unless the destination object already has auto layout enabled. Um, yeah. But if it does, it should work. And it didn't work. I don't know what's going on. Maybe that's a bug. Maybe a bug. Okay, here's my last question to, to wrap up this topic is, as you're describing all the stuff that you've done to refactor your entire design system, all I hear is this sounds really, really fragile and scary. Like there's some parts that aren't fragile, like with the way Figma does like nested components mm-hmm. and like the properties and stuff. But as you're talking about specifically things like tagging the person who worked on it and tagging the pattern owner, like that stuff is just going to be out of date and you're just going to create this drift. And I wonder like what the tension is between having it be perfectly organized where entropy will run its course and it's just going to get worse and worse over time. I don't know. Maybe that's the only way to to deal with it versus, I don't know, man, like not worrying about that stuff or putting it somewhere else where you have more structured data. But again, like I can understand why you don't want to maintain a spreadsheet and a Figma library. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, some of the Figma stuff, I'm like, man, they're going to come out with auto layout V5 or whatever. And like, I guess it's your job. Like it's just going to break all your shit. Yeah. No. Well, and that's the thing is that I haven't you? done a refactor in like four years or something. Like a lot of the components okay. were still like Gen One components because it's so fragile, and it didn't make sense to like. I've been waiting to make a lot of changes. I've just been waiting for aspect ratio to be built into Figma. I know I complain about this all the time, but uh, you get to keep hearing it. Um, 
if that get, gets built in, then that changes how we do just about everything because everything is 16 by 9 or 2 by 3 for movies or 1 by 1 for albums or whatever, like avatars. All those ratios matter and they need to be sized responsively, usually driven by the width of the component. So sure. uh, it took the tooling to mature enough for it to make sense to even do a refactoring thing to make it worth our while, right? And I got a hack going now to do that aspect ratio thing, and I will replace it at some point in the future if it ever becomes possible. But um, it's set up in a way where if it becomes a first-party thing, I can make a couple changes, essentially like delete a couple layers and make changes on the source reference, and it'll, it'll propagate down the line. I don't know if that made any sense, but... I've set myself up for future success. I've future proofed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess what I'm hearing is like, it's your job, so it's going to be complicated and like needs maintenance. Yep. I guess I hear all this. I'm like, sounds like stuff's just going to be breaking left and right, and like you won't have any visibility. I, that's actually what I'm I'm thinking is like when something breaks, you won't know about it. Well, no, I do find out about it because my name is well. I'm, I'm kind of the go-to person for if something breaks. So well, like, yeah, some, someone will bug you. Yeah. Someone will bug you. I'll find out about um, it. Trust me. I mean, if it's if it's a problem, someone will, and they know to contact me. But also, like, it's on me to have regular scheduled maintenance, right? To have a cadence where quarterly I go through and I make sure everything. I go through one component at a time and I go, "Is this right? Is this the right owner? Is this the right?" I mean, it's me for all of those in, in the you know foundations library, but yeah. for all the other libraries, yeah, that does change. There is turnover, but having a quarterly cadence to check the truth of it is like, dude, I'm a glorified custodian. I'm just <laughs> I'm plunging <laughs> toilets and, and, yeah. and wiping down walls and uh, it needs to be done. And, you know, if I don't do it, nobody else will. And you got you got to have a regular routine that you go yeah. through. And if you keep it nice all the time, it stays nice. If you let it get bad, then it turns into a junk closet. Right. So yeah. my plan now is to just like, which is how I, I try to treat my computer desk, you know, like my work desk is it never gets bad because every day I'm, I pick it up, I keep it tidy all the time. And like once a week I yeah. dust it and everything, but like it's, it never gets messy because I never let it get worse than a little bad. Right. Right. Anyway. Well, you know, here's something you can look forward to is someday when you have the space and time, you have a, a very profitable Figma course on your hand that you could sell to people that explains all of this with visual reference and sample files and like real demonstrations of the workflow. I think it's one thing to talk through this organization over a podcast. Well, actually, it doesn't even, I, I would say don't do a course just because I think people are a little bit coursed out. I think you should be making YouTube videos, Marshall. I think this, this walkthrough, like abstract some of the YouTube specific stuff, but like the organizational stuff, like the hierarchy stuff, the page organization stuff, the library linking stuff, it should just be like a YouTube video, and I bet you could make it. I know you would spend a, way too long on it, uh -huh. but I don't know, a few hours. And like that is something that people would learn a lot from. So anyways, this is my monthly uh, encouragement to you to create YouTube videos. <laughs> I know. Yeah, man. I mean, I've thought about it for sure. I, and you nailed it. I would spend way too much time. If I did it at all, I would spend way too much time on it, which is why I haven't done it. I think it's worth it. I think you'd have fun. And I think, I don't know, I, I think I, I really believe in dog fooding just in general. And I know you get to dog food by watching YouTube, but I think being a creator would probably expose you to parts of the product that you don't get a lot of exposure to and probably help you understand what's going on. And I don't know, call it like the back office of oh, for sure. YouTube creator stuff. Yeah, no, it's good. I, uh, I probably should. I mean, I have I have a little bit more free time now that we're doing this monthly. So maybe 
maybe that I've, I've been working on my screenplay a lot so yeah uh, that's important too well i would say try and get one do one youtube video before the end of the year okay yeah i'm gonna try it i wonder if uh, we'll see if super anybody... non-committal we need we need like some stakes here we need some skin in the game yeah i can do it uh all right i'll do it uh give me a deadline end of q3 so october 1 i want to see a youtube video out Ooh, that's bad. That coincides with work stuff. <laughs> oh, the timing of it just uh, doesn't quite work, huh? Yeah. Well, then the end of the year, I don't give a shit. Just by the end of the year, publish a YouTube video about something and boil down that something to something so small that you'll be like, but why would anyone watch a YouTube video about that? And it doesn't fucking matter. It can be a two-minute YouTube video. I think once you start, you'll get the bug. Yeah. Uh, the internet's mean, though, Brian. <laughs> no, it's really not. I. It's mean at scale. And actually, you know... I'm not at scale, but like the YouTube videos that I've made, I don't know. I'm in like the tens of thousands of views and like hundreds of comments. Mm -hmm. They're all very positive. I feel like the design community at that scale is incredibly encouraging and positive. Okay. Um, Yeah, you're going to be fine. If you have something go viral and like you end up in a TikTok or something, then maybe, yeah, you'll get get dunked on. But cross that bridge when you, you cross it. And in the meantime, like I think there's a lot of people who get a lot of value from what you know and will leave comments and like your videos and that feels good all right yeah every time i mean <laughs> this is the first time i was gonna say you've inspired me but i've said this before brian <laughs> like i know we, it'll we've wear done off. i mean at some point you were gonna make a course at some point you were made, working on a whole thing yeah i made one you had the whole outline yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah anyways well let's let's change the subject do you have any cool things okay. for me this week brian I do. And it's a cool thing that it's one of those ones where I'm like, is this me or did Marshall share this with me like six months ago? Oh, this is so an original. Have you seen this video? No, this is an original Brian joint, I think. Uh, maybe. Hold on. Okay. Is then I don't remember how I found it. Might have been a YouTube wreck. Maybe someone sent it to me. I th- this is the kind of thing that you would send to me. But anyways, it's a YouTube video from a creator called Tantacruel. And it's called How We Made Muse Score 4 Music App Design is Challenging. Marshall, this is the best video about software design i've ever seen oh my gosh okay i don't say this lightly it is a very good youtube video and i think people will see it and see 46 minutes music app that's not for me i don't have time for that i think it was like the most engaging 46 minutes of design content i've ever watched the production quality incredible the narration incredible the before and afters incredible and the more he talked about the problems of building MuseScore, which is like a, a music composition, like actually you know putting notes on the bars and shit. Mm-hmm. It's called like Inscription or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's an app that does that, mm-hmm. which is insanely complicated. Yeah, it's almost as crazy like, as like an application that helps you write mathematical functions. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like you just got symbols that could be placed in any conceivable uh-huh. combination yeah. next to each other, above each other, around each other. Okay. And then you have all these things that can connect the different symbols. Uh-huh. And then you have like the bars and like the lines underneath. Uh-huh. And it's just like complex, dense info iconography. And he just goes through this redesign process of like, hey, here's here's all the problems we found in V3. Here's how we did it in V4. And it's just so methodical, before and afters, mm. high production quality. So this is my cool thing. I, love I, it. I don't know what else to say, man. Like, I think this is the best like design video I've ever seen. Wow. It's really good. Software design, software design. Yeah, no, I love it. 
Yeah, I, I know what I'll be watching this evening after Virginia falls asleep. Yeah, well, I hope I haven't overhyped it. I hope you get into it. Let me know what you think. I, um, yeah, I, I, I just thought it was awesome. While you were talking, I watched like the first minute muted, and yeah. I'm already in. If you, for listeners and for you, if you get a few minutes in and for whatever reason you don't like it, then I think the, the section, I think it's like maybe the third to last chapter about engraving. Engraving, that's the word. Mm. The third to last chapter called about engraving starts at minute 33. I think the whole video is incredible, but if you, for whatever reason, just want to like get a taste, I would start with that chapter. I thought the engraving bit was really cool, like really interesting design problems. Um, and the way he like visually explains the solution to the problems is super compelling. I have no idea how long this video took to create, but it must have been. Yeah, when the a, output a long, is 46 minutes. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's a long time. Yeah. So anyways, that's my cool thing. Link in the show notes. Super cool, Brian. Um, I too have a cool thing this week. You have two cool things, if I'm reading the notes correctly. Yeah, I I do. I have a primary cool thing and a secondary cool thing. How about that? Okay. okay. So uh, primary cool thing. They're both apps, actually. And they're both uh, movie-related apps, I guess. Could be the umbrella tie yeah. between the two of them. Sequel is the first app that I would like to share. It is a save-for-later app, but it includes movies, shows, games, books and audiobooks a little strange that there's books and audiobooks but i guess some things are released in one and not the other um it is really well designed it feels stock plus you know it's kind of like stock with a little bit of extra flair you know everything Mm -hmm. is where you expect it to be all the iconography is from the sf symbols library uh so the nice thing about this in addition to being a great little repository for anything that you see you're like oh that's a good game i, I want to make sure i don't forget that put it in here so for example it's amazing the uh level of insight it's all made by one guy by the way his name is i'm gonna butcher it roman lefebvre in london uh is amazing amazing work for one person for example a game has several different modes that it can be in so it can be on your wish list. Everything can be on your wish list. That's kind of the default thing. But you can also add it to your backlog of things that you want to be playing. It could be a currently playing game, like something that you're actively playing. It can also be abandoned. So you can say, I was playing it, but I stopped it. You could also say, I, f- I completed it. Mm-hmm. I played it. I finished it or remove it from mm-hmm. your library altogether. Similarly, for a TV show, you can mark individual episodes as watched or the entire season. You can mark all as watched or unwatch all of them or stop watching that show. It's kind of similar to abandoned. But when you go in, it's got a really great episode tab. There's kind of like a, it's got a segmented control with details where it tells you all of the different places you can watch it. It's got a really nice single icon, like the best result, like Hulu or Apple TV or whatever. And then a collection, kind of like a a group with a container and, and, and a grid of icons inside that when you tap on it, it expands and shows you all of the icons inside. Really nice little touches like that. But if you move from the details uh, segmented control over to the episode side, it organizes it by, for a given show, like uh, it has a, a shelf of the episodes. And when you tap on one of them to have watched it and you tap on the little radio button to check it in, it auto scrolls that horizontal carousel to the next item. So you can uh, go through one at a time. Or if you mark a given episode deep into the series as watched, it'll ask you, do you want to watch everything before this too? Really smart stuff like that. Really good sectioning of seasons and episodes, pulling in thumbnails for all the episodes and airing dates and all that stuff. So uh, really useful from a standpoint of getting that metadata. Best series, movies, similar thing. It has upcoming and watched, uh, sorry, 
has upcoming movies that like haven't been released yet, but then a whole grid of release stuff. Like the upcoming thing is as a carousel, it's like a horizontal shelf, whereas the the release thing it uses as a grid and kind of it becomes an infinite list or you know goes on as far as you need to. Like just the 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 pattern choices here are really smart. Putting the most important stuff up front, but with the ability to pivot out to other ways to look at your, this information. Otherwise, sorry, I'm I'm, I'm yeah. gushing, but. I've been using it. Here, here's yeah. the thing that I wish that was better about the app because I, I used it and I like set up some lists for movies, TV shows, and games. I just think there's not enough discovery. Like if you go to add things, yes. it'll like it'll say show me recommended movies, and it's a list of like 20 movies. There's not that, and many, you can't yeah. scroll beyond that. Yep, there's coming. Up, I want to see and there's trending. I want like this UX plus like the library. And like the social feed aspect of something like Letterboxd, where it's like, here's what's popular now. Here's what people have been watching recently. Here's stuff that's coming out in theaters. Like, I just want to like discover and like really go through this like big catalog of things and really feel like I can fill out my list. Because I think the worst part of these kinds of apps is having to search for stuff because you never know what to search for. Yeah, give me like you need the Oscar visual reminder and last year's Oscar winners and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. I think he's getting all. Well, this there was another app we reviewed that that had that right. Um, shit, what was the name of it? We we talked about an app. We had a cool thing a while ago, and they had that grouping. It was like a movie. It was only for movies, and they had a discover page, and they had yeah. manual lists of twenty twenty three Oscars, twenty twenty two Oscars, and like you could go through those lists. And it was kind of nice, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The problem with that app is it didn't have books games tv shows right. just movies oh uh i think that was q or maybe it was like uh yeah q no well q is another one that's like this but i find q to be a little bit they have like too much gamification stuff like you get points yeah, and medals badges and badges and, and shit i don't need any of that oh man what about is it yeah i can't remember the name of it or just watch tracked there's a bunch of them can you tell I've gone down this rabbit hole? Sequel's the best of, of them that I've found. Yeah, but there was one that I sent to you, and I just will not be able to find it. Hang on. Maybe it's in my entertainment. Must. It was must, right? Must. I feel like I haven't even heard of it. It was must. Yeah, yeah. Go search for must, because I definitely sent it to you, and you spent a night adding like a million things. Well, this is nice, too. <laughs> Here's another rabbit hole of curation and collection and list making for you or well yeah i mean i i do like sequel as my like one-stop shop for all this stuff now like when i hear a game or a book or a tv show or a movie like that's where it goes it goes in sequel um yeah. I, I might have other discovery surfaces but this is my go-to place for actually keeping it anyway sorry sure that was sure. a very long-winded version oh, oh yeah so i had another thing so that was sequel <laughs> yeah, yeah uh the other thing real quick is uh the app isn't super beautiful or anything in the same way that I think SQL is a really nice looking app, but uh, it is very useful specifically for one UX, like we call it CUJ in the business, Brian, a critical user journey. Uh, this app is called Call Sheet. And I don't know if you've ever been watching a TV show and you're like, oh, that guy. Yeah, that guy. Who the fuck is, what have I, what have I seen that guy from? Yeah, we do this all the time all the when time. we're watching movies together. And usually yeah. I can like, remember but like sometimes you can't remember so doing this through imdb is a chore it is like yeah it's not great the longest process of like tapping on this and scrolling down that and tapping 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 tapping, so you even like get there and then you're still scrolling through the list of all of the regular actors for that episode and like at the bottom maybe you'll run into like the guest episode uh, guest actors for that episode 
Not with the app Call Sheet. This is like a five-step process to get to any episode for any TV show and find any actor. And it filters out all the regulars from the show. It only shows you the guest actors, like the day players or whatever, that are just on one episode. Uh, so that has been really useful for me now. It's like, it's not a home screen app by any means. SQL is, but it is there. I, I do spotlight search it and uh, while, while I'm sitting on the couch and uh, finally, who the fuck? Who is she? I know her. Why do I know her from? Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyways, uh, SQL and call sheet. That's the cool things, Brian. Cool. Links in the show notes in for the people show who notes. want to partake. Indeed. Cool. Well, this has been episode 462 of the Design Details podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. Tweet at us, DM us. Uh, let us know your Figma organization tips and tricks. Um, is there anything Marshall's not doing that he should be doing? Mm-hmm. Let us know. Otherwise, just tweet at Marshall and tell him to make YouTube videos. And uh, yeah, if you need more design details content for your ears, go to patreon.com slash design details where you can catch the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. Today, we're going to be talking about how to elegantly unship software. Once again, that's patreon.com slash design details. That's it this week. Catch you next time. Bye. Dude, I can't wait to watch this YouTube video.